0: I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well as we kick off another week. Another Monday, another holiday, as I bring you up to speed on everything that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 174 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, January the 18th, in the year of our Lord 2021, MLK Day, as we celebrate the life, the legacy, and the birthday of the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on all available platforms, whether that be on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, or even Amazon Music. Or for more information, you can go to the website at www.jreels.com to find out more about the podcast itself, yours truly, archive shows, etc. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. I know it's a week later, but it's no shock that the Alabama Crimson Tide has won the national championship for college football, but let the debate begin. Are they the best team of all time? I think they're close, but I'll share who I thought was better, at least in my lifetime, which will be pretty interesting for those who want to hang their hat on who is the greatest college football team of all time. So I'll talk about that later on. The NBA had a very interesting week, especially if you're a Brooklyn Net fan. As James Harden was part of one of the biggest blockbuster deals we've seen in quite some time, four teams involved, picks being sent here, there, and everywhere. But the question is, did the Nets have to sell their souls to the future NBA hell because of it? I'll explain that later on. NHL season is underway. I'll discuss a couple of takeaways as we're just five days in with the main one being the Dallas Stars have yet to play a game due to COVID impacting their team. And as far as Major League Baseball goes, We're less than a month away from pitchers and catchers, but with a few signings coming up the pike this past week, I'll discuss who goes where as the hot stove tries to get things cooking after a long, hard, cold off-season. And lastly, Conor McGregor is back in the news as he has a fight this coming Saturday. Remember, he just retired, what was it, three, four months ago, and he seemed like he was ready to go on to the next stage of his life. Not so fast. That wasn't a surprise. So I'll spend a couple minutes on that, as well as my hero and zero of the week, And now that we're 10 games into this NFL postseason, where on Saturday, it was a snooze fest, let's face it. The two games in Green Bay and Buffalo weren't anything to write home about. Yesterday, you had a lot of intrigue in Kansas City and a little bit down in the bayou in New Orleans. But now as we look ahead to the final four, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will go to Green Bay and face Aaron Rodgers for the first time, having an NFC Championship game in his building. And a rematch of the week 6 game that took place where Tampa destroyed the Pack 38 10 Same deal in the AFC Championship game where you had a week 6 matchup between Buffalo and Kansas City where Kansas City cruised pretty much to a 26-17 victory. And now they're one win away from getting back to the Super Bowl and try to defend their Super Bowl crown from last year. But I'll go in order of these games because the big one is is the one that took place yesterday in Kansas City. But I'll start with Saturday, where the LA Rams and Green Bay Packers, Packers pretty much had a first half that was surgery as they scored on every possession to put themselves in a comfortable lead. And when I look at this game as a whole, because Green Bay got off to the great start, and even though Jared Goff was efficient in the passing game, but he didn't muster a lot of yardage, Cam Akers, who did have another solid game to piggyback from the performance he had up in Seattle in the wild card game. But was there any doubt that the Packers weren't going to come away victorious? With Aaron Donald being in and out of the game, not really a factor. And as I mentioned about Goff being efficient, but certainly couldn't match toe-to-toe with the possible MVP of the league and Aaron Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers pretty much were in cruise control Even though there was a little bit of a threat there in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, where Cam Akers got that touchdown to cut the lead from 25-10 to 25-18, but it was just a matter of time before Aaron Rodgers put it in overdrive as he connected with Alan Lazard, who had a drop earlier and looked like it could have gone for a touchdown in that second half, but he was able to make amends to get the, pretty much the game to ice it at 32-18, and what else is there to talk about in this game? Pretty much nothing. The Rams, who a lot of people thought would be in the game just by their defense alone when you look at the performance they had the week before in Seattle, but they were not able to duplicate that this time around as it was too much Aaron Rodgers, too much Aaron Jones, too much even of their running game. A.J. Dillon with a contribution. We talked about Lazard. Devontae Adams didn't really have his fingerprints on this game as that matchup with him and Jalen Ramsey were big, although he did have that touchdown there, which pretty much set them off. And running in the second quarter And the Packers are looking as formidable As they have been over the years And as I said last week If you listened and tuned in If they do not make it to the Super Bowl this year It would be an investigation unlike any other Because the Packers are tailor-made to play In those conditions They're tailor-made to play in their building They had some fans there for the first time all year And you would expect to have the same Amount of fans there to root on Their Pack team to make it down to Tampa And face off in a Super Bowl against the AFC representative Really isn't anything much I could add to this game Other than the Packers look like they're going to be a tough out here When they face the Buccaneers next week And we'll talk about the Bucs As their journey to the NFC Championship game went through New Orleans As we know But as we fast forward to the Saturday night game Where the Bills and Ravens A lot of people thought including myself That this was a game that the Ravens certainly could have won A lot of momentum coming into this game where Lamar Jackson finally got that piano off of his back, getting that first playoff win. A little bit overblown, only because he did lose his first two playoff games. It's not as if he went into this game at 0-5 or had so many bad performances. Now granted, his first go around against the Chargers was awful, and then last year that game against the Tennessee Titans was certainly one that he'd want to forget. But after the win in Tennessee... Knew it was going to be a tough go up in Buffalo with the weather playing a little bit of a factor. You saw some snow showers there, but nothing to really upstage their offense. And when you look at the first half of this game, it was a defensive matchup where a lot of people thought it was going to be points scored. Although both teams can play defense. I think the Raven defense a little bit better than the Bills defense, but it was tough to see the Ravens on that opening drive. They marched down the field, running the ball left and right. And then Justin Tucker, who to me is a first ballot Hall of Famer, a lock, hits the left upright, tough way for them to start off the game because you know that with the Bills and the way their offense, with Stephon Diggs and of course the quarterback, Josh Allen, they've been a lethal duo throughout the course of the season, especially the second half of this year. And points were going to be at a premium, especially for an offense that was going to run the ball the way the Ravens did. And for them to not come up with points there certainly loomed large as the game went on, and I'll explain in a minute. But you pretty much had a tale of a lot of missed field goals. Special teams weren't A-plus for both sides. Now the Bills were able to jump off with a 3-0 lead. They weren't able to score on their possession. The Ravens then come down the second quarter where they had another opportunity to kick a field goal, and Justin Tucker hits the right upright Later on, you also had another missed field goal there by the Bills kicker, and when you go into the locker room 3-3, the Ravens, although they didn't do much offensively in the first half, but they pretty much had the Bills right where they want them. Score was tied, both teams, it was almost like a heavyweight fight where they were feeling each other out in the first half, and now it's just a matter of the Bills coming out of the second half and seeing what they would be able to do against that Raven defense, and sure enough, what did they do? They marched into the end zone with a three-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs. Now, the big play in that drive was on a third and two, where Josh Allen was being rushed from his blind side. He was able to float a pass over the defender into the arms of Dawson Knox, who converted a big third down there, which led to that touchdown drive. And then now, it was a matter of what were the Ravens going to do to counter that. So at 10-3, the Ravens moving the ball, running the ball. Lamar Jackson had a couple of plays. In the pocket, you could see they were trying to get him more involved in the passing game when you look at his numbers at the end of the day. And his final stats aren't going to make you jump up and down by any stretch 14 for 24. What do they have? 100 some odd yards. But on this drive where the Ravens are looking to go in for the equalizer 10 3, first and goal, third down, goes back to pass, definitely looking for his main target in a one Mark Andrews. And what happens? Gets intercepted by Taron Johnson. Goes the other way. 101 yards. And that was pretty much a ballgame. And Lamar Jackson. I get that the narrative is going to be. He spit the bit. Another game where he choked. And I could see where all of the naysayers are going to come out. And destroy him for this game. And to me it wasn't all on him. We talked about the kicking game. Not being successful. Where Justin Tucker missed those two field goals. The first time he's missed two field goals in a game under 50 yards. So that goes to show you. Even he could have a night off. The center, Patrick McCarry was awful throughout the night. Low snaps, high snaps, the snap that pretty much took Lamar Jackson out of the game, and I'll get to that in a second. The defense in big spots, you want to say that third and two that I mentioned before, the pass to Knox, eh, of course that could happen. But the Raven defense, although they were very good for most of the night, but they did have their moments where they did not come up big, in particular that drive, which was the biggest drive of the game because not only did the Bills take the lead, but it also led to the biggest play of the game, which obviously we just talked about with the interception. And the Ravens will certainly be at fault across the board, but it's all going to fall on Lamar Jackson, especially with that play, which was a 14-point swing of the game late in the third quarter. And all he could say is, yes, it is another playoff loss under his belt. Yes, he did not play well. He did not play poorly. But he definitely wasn't the guy who was the MVP of last year, and a lot of people thought that we're going to go on this long run here based on what happened the week before in Tennessee. And you didn't see that. And then McCari for all of his foibles in the game, late there on the final play of the third quarter, the high snap, Lamar Jackson did a fantastic job to corral it and throw it away. He had to do that earlier in the game as well. But in that process, as he was falling back, he hit his head on the turf, he was concussed, done for the game. They had to bring in the kid from Utah, Tyler Huntley, who actually was pretty good. And with about six minutes to go in the game where Buffalo were unable to move the ball, Buffalo was unable to sustain a quality drive after that touchdown. But here you have it in a key spot there. I believe it was fourth and 10 and four down territory for the Ravens. And Tyler Huntley throws a pass where Hollywood Brown was wide open. There was nobody around him for about 10 yards and he just overthrew him. And that was the game. And then, of course, they had another opportunity there late where he overthrew Mark Andrews in the end zone, turnover on downs, and 17-3, the Bills victorious as they go on to their first AFC title game since the 93 season when they faced the Kansas City Chiefs in a one Joe Montana to go to their fourth straight Super Bowl. So with the Ravens here, I know it's another lost opportunity. I could kill the Ravens here left and right if I want to but I'm not going to do that only because and as much as I hate the Ravens everybody knows again I can't put this at the feet of Lamar Jackson 100% you can look at the special teams and the center and everything that I mentioned to the defense not coming up there to start off the third quarter but that's going to happen you know you can't stop them on every drive but the Bills it's about them they move on and Bills Mafia which they did a wonderful gesture there with Jackson being Out for the rest of the game. And for what they did for his charity, as they put forth, I guess, tens of thousands of dollars for one of the charities that he has going back to uh, Louisville where he played college football. And great job by them. Remember, they did that a few years back with Andy Dalton when they first made it to the postseason against Jacksonville. When Dalton converted on that fourth down against Baltimore to knock them out of the playoffs and put Buffalo in. And they put a lot of money towards Andy Dalton's charity. So... Kudos to the Bills Mafia for doing so, but now they have one more mountain to climb to get themselves back to the Super Bowl for the first time since that 93 season. And as we fast forward to the Sunday game yesterday between the Chiefs and Browns, and this was a game where when you look at it from the first half, Chiefs score on every one of their drives. Now they started the game off with a touchdown drive, which I was unable to watch because for whatever the reason... The signal from CBS was not connecting to the device, to my box So therefore I missed everything that happened on that opening drive And not only did I have to suffer But I know a lot of other people here in the New York area Depending on what their cable provider was They were unable to see either parts of the opening drive Or most of the first half or whatever So CBS dropped the ball there But then the Browns come back with a drive of their own Ended up with a field goal and right then and there, I thought to myself, that was a bad omen, only because as the Chiefs went down to score a touchdown, now Harrison Butker did miss the extra point, but as we all know, you can't kick field goals against this Chief team, you got to go in for the kill. But they get the points on the board, Chiefs continue to march along, but on that next possession by the Chiefs, they were able to get it into the end zone again, 13-3, and you kind of wonder, oh boy, this is where the game's going to take off, and the next thing you know it's going to be blowout central. Obviously that wasn't the case, but let's fast forward to pretty much one of the key points of the game. And you could say that it was critical. You don't know how the game's going to play out in the long run. But when you look at that Rashad Higgins catch, as he's going in for the score there, and that was at 16 to three. As he dives for the pylon, he gets hit by Daniel Sorensen on a helmet to helmet. So this is twofold here. Not only did he dive to go for the pylon and the ball goes out of bounds in the end zone for a touchback, but he does get hit in the helmet by the defender to where a lot of people thought a flag should have been thrown there. And let's talk about that first. Now that's a play where it's bang, bang. We know the back judge is there and he could could have thrown the flag there. Absolutely could have. And we understand that the game is going by so fast that he's just keeping his eye on the ball to make sure that it does cross the plane of the goal line so he's not looking to throw a flag there, but still, that's a play that should have been reviewable, it was under two minutes, I get that a lot of the Brown fans are going to go up in arms, not only just on the touchback, which we'll get to in a second, but the helmet to helmet, which should have been 15 yards, and it would have put them right there at the one inch line, now that's something the NFL may have to look at here, because this happened in the postseason, it was a helmet to helmet, The wide receiver wasn't defenseless Because he was going for the pylon He was trying to break the plane of the goal line But it's something that you could certainly argue And the NFL headquarters will have to take a look at this In this offseason And now the touchback I know that this is a rule that Maybe the NFL is going to look at here But let's face it A lot of people may not like it I'm not a fan of it But how else are you going to gauge that? The ball goes out of bounds in the end zone even though it was last touched by the offensive player, you can't put that ball at the one-yard line. Obviously, if it goes out of bounds at the one, or even the one-inch line, it's still the Browns' ball. So as much as you want to kill the rule, and it may not be the best rule, but what else are you going to do there? Because let's just say for argument's sake, if the Chiefs were able to get the ball in the end zone, obviously it would be a touchback. Uh, There's no other way to... Quantify that rule Or even make it to where the Browns get the ball Back Whether in that spot Or if the play You want to call it dead And put it back at the Original line of scrimmage You're not going to do that So maybe the NFL will tinker Or try to Tweak that rule a little bit But there really isn't anything You can do about that So unfortunately A Play Which should have been at the one yard line And it wasn't a touchdown That ball did not break the plane of the goal line But for it to go into the end zone and out of bounds I'm sorry And I understand all of Ohio Was incensed of the ruling But There isn't anything you can do about it So as crucial and critical as that play was The Chiefs went down the field And kicked the field goal So now you're in the locker room 19-3 to And you kind of wonder Alright how's this game going to play out Will the Browns get in it Will they make it competitive Will it be no doubt Similar to the Ram Packer game the day before But what you found out here is that on the opening drive and you figure Cleveland, they will do whatever it takes to get back in this game. They went away from their identity. They threw three straight times, including the pass across his body, Baker Mayfield that is, into the hands of Tyron Matthew. And I thought that that was going to be the game right there. But give credit to the defense. They held tight. Harrison Butker, who was going on for a field goal. What happened? He ended up missing the field goal. So there was new life that was breathed into the sidelines for the Browns. And at that point on, that's when he started to kick it into overdrive. They went back to their bread and butter, started running the ball. Nick Chubb right, Nick Chubb up the middle, a little Kareem Hunt here. Yes, some passes here and there, which concluded with a touchdown pass to Jarvis Landry to make it 19 to 10. I know a lot of people thought they should go for two there to make it 19-11 to have it one score. And Jim Nance, the announcer, I don't know why in one sentence he went from one extreme to the other where he came out and said, oh, shouldn't you go for two there? And then as the extra point is being made by Cody Parker, he does say, well, there is plenty of time left. Well, that's the reason why they didn't go for two there. And I thought it was smart by Stefanski because now you got the momentum back. Your offense just scored a touchdown. The last thing you want to do is not convert on the two-point conversion. There could be a little bit of a deflated sideline there. There could have just uh, maybe an aura there where we didn't get the two-point conversion whereas if you tack on the extra point all right now you got some wind in your sails and hopefully the defense will make a stop and last but not least you don't chase points with 929 left to go in the third quarter because you just don't if that was the fourth quarter different story but not with all that time left in the third and the whole fourth quarter awaiting so now we get to the next drive which made this game intriguing Kansas City's moving the ball they get to midfield. It's a third and one. So now there was an option to where Mahomes was ready to pitch to the back. Darrell Williams who had a very good game. But because the defender, I believe it was Denzel Ward, he pretty much telegraphed that whole play. So now Mahomes had to take it himself. He gets hit by Mac Wilson, which looked very innocent at the time, but was unable to get up. And when he did, you could tell he had the noodle knees as he needed help to just Stay afoot. Then he gets off to the blue tent. Next thing you know, he's running into the locker room, which looked like a good sign. But then the prognosis was that he's in the concussion protocol. He's going to be out for the rest of the game. And now it fell on the shoulders of the backup, Chad Henney. Now on the next play, the fourth and one, they did run that little pitch there to Daryl Williams who goes up the sideline. They convert that into a field goal. Good job by the Browns defense. Now it's a 22 to 10 game. Next, the Browns answer with a long 18-play, 75-yard drive, the kind of drive that when you look at this game going in, this is what the Browns needed to do in order to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. As it was, he was going to be off the field for the rest of the game, but this was a drive which took, what, about almost eight and a half minutes, or a little bit over eight minutes, and the Browns are now in prime position here, fourth quarter, within a score, Nobody would have thought that this would have been the case, considering that the halftime score was 19-3, and with Mahomes out, Chad Henney had to be a game manager here to not lose this game, and which would have been a crushing defeat by the Chiefs, let's face it, because you lose your quarterback, you have your backup come in, and how this would have played out would have been disastrous on so many fronts, because you would have had a team that was 14-2, yes, they had the pseudo bye week where they didn't, play Mahomes and a lot of the key starters there in the final game of the season against the Chargers. You had your bye week and then here, obviously no rust through that 20-day layoff and granted that the Browns were able to make some stops and have them kick a couple of field goals there after those opening two touchdown drives. But now here we get to the part of the game where Chad Henney's is going to have to make some plays and he started doing so, but then combine that with the inexperience of coach Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns, where on that drive after the touchdown, he challenges a catch there made by Tyreek Hill, where he pinned it against his thigh, which was a bad challenge there, because he loses the timeout. And then on top of that, didn't challenge a drop by Demarcus Robinson on the drive which led Mahomes out of the game. So those were two plays in question that Stefanski didn't execute on. And even in that Mahomes drive, remember he did no huddle, go up and get the quick snap. But they didn't have the wherewithal or didn't have the aptitude to go ahead and try to throw a challenge flag because that would have been overturned. So now you have Henny and company on the go, moving downfield to where Henny throws his bad pick in the end zone. He throws a parachute to where the Browns didn't do anything on that drive. And then on the final drive by the Chiefs in which they converted a couple of first downs. And then now here you are at the two-minute warning, fourth and one, He's trying to draw him off sides. And then with six seconds left and shotgun, he snaps the ball. And he rolls out right. He finds Tyreek Hill to where he just slides right before he gets out of bounds. Cleveland's out of timeouts. And that's your ball game. So Cleveland on that key fourth and one. And that was in midfield. It wasn't fourth and one at the Cleveland 35 or the Cleveland 28. It was right in midfield to where if the Browns made a stand there, They could have had the ball, no timeouts, but with about a minute and change to go to head downfield to try to get the go-ahead touchdown. Obviously, that wasn't the case. That call was as gutsy as a call you could possibly have, and that's Andy Reid for you. He looked at Chad Henney and said, this is our game, go out and execute that final play and we're going to go to an AFC Championship. So credit to everybody about... Even want to throw in Eric Biennemi as well. I don't know who was part of that. You figured Andy Reid was the guy who had the final say on that play call. But man, that was as gutsy as they come. That stage in the game, knowing that if they turn the ball over on downs, they could potentially lose and go home packing with a lot of questions to be answered this offseason. As for the Browns, Baker Mayfield, similar to the Steeler game, made a lot of great throws. Missed on some, especially the interception there with Matthew, which was just a terrible throw. And he even admitted that in the post game. I give it up to Miles Garrett for this reason. He got paid $125 million this off season to perform in games like that. Now in the Steeler game, he was invisible where Roethlisberger threw almost 70 times and didn't come anywhere near Big Ben as far as the sack goes. He did get a sack on the next to last drive by the Chiefs, I believe, off the top of my head and had that remarkable tackle on that screen pass there that you saw there on that touchdown drive other than that he didn't do much and he was laboring there as we know with a hamstring so good effort by Miles Garrett and the Brown defense who played very well and I understand you can look at Chad Henney second half he didn't have Mahomes I get it but give credit to the Browns they played well they were feisty they fought to the end and did not get that last opportunity for them to go ahead and try to get that go ahead touchdown so are they for real? We'll see. It's one year. We know from year to year, anything could happen with injuries and things of that nature. So the Browns could certainly hang their heads high with the type of season they had. Remind you, just what, three seasons ago, they came off of uh 0-16 and then a 1-15 year. So they've made the long journey back to NFL relevance here. And now we can focus in on the biggest sports story of the week, and that's the health of Patrick Mahomes. Who knows what's going to happen. You would think he'll be ready for this game. But he has to clear the protocol. And news out of Kansas City is going to be the focal point, as I said, throughout sports this week. Because if he doesn't play in that game, man, that changes the entire outcome of a matchup between the number one and two seeds in the AFC. And then, finally, the nightcap there of the weekend between Tampa and New Orleans. And the only thing that you need to take away from this game are the turnovers. Three of the four turnovers led to 21 points for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their defense, where a lot of people thought, myself included. Now, I do like their front seven more than I like their secondary, but they were opportunistic, whether that meant interceptions from the secondary or the big strip there by Antoine Winfield against Jared Cook. You also had Devin White, who had the biggest play there at 23 20 get that interception Which led to the touchdown By Tom Brady Just the vintage one yard Sneak to put them up by 10 And if you're Sean Payton and company The opening drive could be one That you may be thinking about Or really the opening minutes of that game Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Didn't do anything with the ball In their opening drive Saints came down the field After the punt return by Deontay Harris Set them up there at first and goal. Weren't able to convert. They had to kick a field goal. Then on their next possession. Deontay Harris actually takes a punt into the end zone for a touchdown. But gets called back for a block in the back. On that drive. That also led to a field goal. And that made you think. Not to say that it wasn't going to be New Orleans Day. But because they didn't jump off to that 10-0 lead at that point. If the block in the back wasn't called. That was going to be a moment early on where you thought that. Hmm. Tampa Bay could be in this game and as long as they're going to be in the game they're going to have a shot because of number 12 now Brady's stat line at the end of the day was not good and Drew Brees what can I say he was awful and that's how you pretty much sum up this game because you take the turnovers away and I understand in any NFL game and you can't take turnovers away but that was the difference because without those turnovers Tampa Bay's not scoring and and with the Saints squandering those opportunities there in the first half, you combine those two things and that pretty much will sum up your 30-20 to 20 victory by the Bucks. and give credit to the Buck defense. They played well. Not only were they opportunistic, but they slowed down Alvin Kamara. Michael Thomas did not have a catch in the game, so he was a non-factor. And Drew Brees, what could you say? His throws were just terrible. The first interception that he threw in the game as he was being pressured, Sean Murphy bunting. Jumps the route, intercepts the pass, and then from there, that's what set the stage for not one, not two, but three turnovers leading to those 21 points and making the Buccaneers go on to the NFC Championship game for the first time since the 2002 season to when they made it to the Super Bowl against the Oakland Raiders and leaves a long off season for the New Orleans Saints where, when you look at their last four playoff appearances, they lose in. Minnesota to the Minneapolis miracle we know how that turned out the following year they lose on the pass interference call that wasn't to the Rams and an opportunity for them to get to the Super Bowl at home they lose to Kirk Cousins in the wild card game at home and then now after a lackluster performance against the Bears let's call it as we see it for them to put up the stinker here in their building yet again I understand it's Tampa And you can look at it from the standpoint of they had swept them in the regular season and we know how hard it is to sweep a team three times in one season. But at the end of the day, the Saints shot themselves in the foot here. And Drew Brees, who knows if this is going to be it for him. Now, I'm not going to base this all on his performance yesterday, which was putrid. But you got to wonder how many more cracks he's going to have at this as he gets up there in age, as he flails here in these postseason games and especially at home. I could see if he's going on the road playing in a cold weather city whether he loses a game in Green Bay or if he loses in Chicago or if he loses somewhere else where you knew that there were going to be underdogs and may not have a shot to win. But it's home cooking losing these games in his building the way he has over the last few years and throws not crisp, not sharp not able to throw the ball 20 yards downfield. In fact, one of their touchdowns was on a trick play that they took off of the Bears the week before where Jameis Winston found a wide open Traquan Smith to get that touchdown to give them the lead there at 13 to 10. So if you're the Saints right now, you got to wonder whether or not it's time to move on. Or if you're thinking that if Drew Brees, yeah, it's time for you to hang it up and take your cushy broadcast booth job with NBC. NBC. And who knows, you saw some words there at the end between Breeze and Jameis Winston where it looked like he was pointing at him saying that, hey, you could be the guy to carry the mantle for this team. Trying to read his lips there to see what he was saying. But now Winston, I don't know if he's signed a multi-year deal. He probably did sign a one-year deal, but who knows? This could be his team next year. That we'll have to wait and see. And then you saw the embrace there between Brady's and Breeze. Even after the game, once the interviews had taken place, you saw him on the field there with Brady throwing passes to Drew Brees' kids. And just a bit of defeat there for the New Orleans Saints and their fans as they had Super Bowl aspirations, and rightfully so. Now, would they have a shot to win in Green Bay next week? Eh. That goes for any team, depending on the weather, etc. But which even begs the question, and we know how good of a coach Sean Payton is, but Sean Payton and even Mike Tomlin for that matter, they have a coaching record that is similar, especially in the postseason, where they've lost all these killer games in their building favorites and what could you say I believe Peyton now is 8-8 eight and eight lifetime similar to Mike Tomlin's record but the Saint fan and I haven't heard many of them come out and say oh I'm tired of Peyton we need a new coach but who are you going to bring in if that's the case so just another tough loss there for the Saints as they have a long off season ahead and who knows if number 9 is going to be back on the center which I think he probably won't I mean maybe it's time and as we look ahead to these games next week Both of these teams Again as I mentioned earlier They played in week 6 The 38-10 game If you remember that was the four twenty-five game Where I believe the Packers Jumped out to a 10-0 lead And then Aaron Rodgers had a couple of picks One was a pick 6 And the Buccaneers scored 38 unanswered In a rocking chair type game 38-10 And then the second game Where the Chiefs and Bills played in Buffalo Now remember that was supposed to be a Thursday night game But because of situations with COVID And them having to postpone the game They pushed it to the Monday night game That was the early Monday night game I believe it was the 5 o'clock game And the Chiefs went on to win 26-17 I believe that was the score Up in Orchard Park And now that the settings are reversed To where Tampa has to go to Green Bay Early weather reports has it that it's going to be in the 20s. Who knows about snow? Still got to wait and see. We're still six days away, so I'm not going to play meteorologist here. But wouldn't it be something if Tampa were to win this next game? And they're going to have to get the same breaks that they got in the game against New Orleans in order for them to go to Super Bowl. Because just like Cleveland the week before, when they got the five turnovers and the 28 points in that first quarter for them to go on and win. It was going to be tough sledding for them, although it was a close game yesterday against the Chiefs, but they knew they were going to get that type of luck when it came to the turnover battle, that now as we transition to Tampa, they're going to need the same type of luck in order for them to win. That's not to say they got to play near perfect, but we know Aaron Rodgers in that building. We know how the Packers have been salivating for this moment, knowing that over the years, having to go on the road in these NFC title games, whether it was in San Francisco last year, whether it was in Atlanta a few years ago, where they both lost badly in those performances. And now the game is in their building. For the first time, I believe since 1996, when Carolina went there and they beat the Panthers in order for them to get to the Super Bowl. That was the year where they beat the New England Patriots. So now Aaron Rodgers, first time in that building. Tampa, another road game. Now they go from playing a young And inexperienced Washington team To playing that experienced New Orleans team To go now outdoors again Against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers I'm not going to say it's a tall order But it's going to be a tough task I could see Tampa I could see Brady working some magic Just like he did yesterday He's going to need some short fields Similar to what he got in New Orleans But I could just see this Being a game where And the Packer defense isn't all that I'll give you that But to me this has 29 17 written all over it for Green Bay That's how I'm looking at it And I can't even handicap the AFC championship game Because the status of Mahomes If I know Mahomes is playing I think they would win the game How effective he's going to be Remains to be seen If he does play in the game I think it's going to be a close game It's going to be tooth and nail Now remember The Chiefs have not played Well here Throughout the second half of the season Now they did lose the final game We all know the starters were out But They didn't blow out these teams The way they did It seemed the year before They won a lot of these games Within one score Now granted They may have had the game in hand Then the two games that come to mind The game in Tampa And the game in New Orleans Where they both had big leads And then Both the Buccaneers and Saints came back to make it close. But it's not as if the Chiefs have been gouging these teams left and right. So if Mahomes is there, I could see this being a close game. I could see this being a, maybe a 31-24 type game. Or even 31-23, maybe the Chiefs pull away late. But if Mahomes doesn't play, that's a toss-up. You got to favor the Bills. Or at least to pick them I'm not a gambling man But If Henny's going to start this game How can you think about The Chiefs winning this game? I mean you can't Everybody across The nation They're going to think that This is going to be the Bills game For them to lose So We'll certainly keep our eyes on The health And again The biggest sports story of the week by far On whether or not He's going to be healthy to play in this game I'm going to say he is It's for an opportunity To go back to the Super Bowl To defend that But we'll see And if you're CBS, who's going to have the game on their network. Now, you can't go wrong with any of the matchups. But if I had to guess, I'd say they want Kansas City, Tampa Bay first, only because they want Brady Mahomes, followed by Kansas City, Green Bay. And why not? You're going to have Mahomes against Rodgers. Either one of those two matchups, you can't go wrong. But I would think maybe CBS wants Brady there only because he is Tom Brady. And he'll be going for his seventh Super Bowl. And then if it's the other way Buffalo at Tampa I think would be the First matchup If you get Tampa in the game It's going to be A ratings bonanza Regardless Because of Brady And then Buffalo Green Bay I think would be The lesser of two So if you go in that order One through four Kansas City Tampa Kansas City Green Bay Buffalo Tampa Buffalo Green Bay But either way You're going to have A good Super Bowl matchup This isn't going to be Where if you go back To the Year of Super Bowl 52 Where Jacksonville was in the AFC Championship game And you could have had a Jacksonville Philadelphia Super Bowl matchup Which uh, And NBC had the game that year They would have been spitting their kale salads out For about 20 minutes So that's what we got there people As we get ourselves ready for a Championship Sunday This coming week And with some NFL news off the field And there's quite a bit of it I'll try to go through it as quick as possible Your coaching hires Robert Salah The San Francisco 49er former defensive coordinator is now the head coach of the Jets. He'll bring some personality. I'm sure he's going to bring a lot of his fire, a lot of the passion that you see here or you've seen on the sidelines with him over the years, especially the last couple of years with San Francisco. So let's see how he plays out as they go back to the defensive route. And think about this. They went with Adam Gazy's last two years, an offensive-minded coach. Before that, Todd Bowles, defensive-minded coach. So now, they're going back on the defensive and let's see what uh, Salah could do there as coach of the Jets to turn their franchise around. You also have Arthur Smith, the former offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Now as your head coach at Atlanta. Let's see if he could restore some faith down there with Matt Ryan. Remains to be seen. Also, the Jacksonville Jaguars have secured Urban Meyer as head coach, knowing that the number one pick could be and will be in all likelihood Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of Clemson, the one thing I fear about this hire is the health of Urban Meyer, who had to not only leave Florida, but even Ohio State, and now he's going to get thrown into the cauldron of the NFL lifestyle, and who knows? Yeah, year one, year two may be exciting, but by year three, is he going to last at that point, knowing that the rigors of an NFL season, it's not just about recruiting anymore, it's about getting into the building at 4.30 and leaving at midnight or even spending the night for that matter so as we all know the NFL is a 12-month job so Urban Meyer is going to try to turn around the fortunes of the Jaguars so we'll see about that and then the Los Angeles Chargers didn't have to look long and far to get their next coach as Brandon Staley the former defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams. All he has to do is just move across the hall as he becomes the head coach of the Chargers. He has a quarterback in tow. He's got some talent there on the defensive side with Derwin James, who's going to come back from an injury. Also Joey Bosa. So we'll see how that unfolds next year for the Charger franchise. And you also had some coordinators go, whether your name is Brian Schottenheimer in Seattle, Chuck Pagano's going to retire, although Matt Nagy will stay in Chicago. The Steelers let go of Randy Fickner as they don't re-sign him, so they promote their quarterback coach Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator for the Steelers. And then lastly, you wonder if Deshaun Watson has played his last game in Houston because a lot of the sources and rumors coming out of Texan land is that he's going to look for a trade. Now that's going to be a tall order because not only are you going to bring a boatload of picks your way, and the Texans are going to need it considering they gave away their picks to Miami in that Laramie Tunsil deal, but you're also going to have to pay him $35 million a year because he signed that extension before the start of this past season, four years at $140 million. So it is twofold to procure the services of a one Deshaun Watson because you're going to have to send him a ton of picks and then pay him in the process. Now, there have been rumors about maybe Miami. Now, wouldn't that be ironic to send them back the number three overall pick this year, which would have gone to the Texans to send them back to bring in Watson. But then what does that say for Tua Tagovailoa? Are the Dolphins already giving up on the possibility of Togovaloa being their franchise quarterback? Again, it's just rumors. We'll have to wait and see. But... Deshaun Watson may be on the move here this offseason And again he's going to come at a hefty price With the Texans And as we've seen there A lot of support by the former players Andre Johnson I know was one who Was in heavily support behind their quarterback And you can only imagine J.J. Watts another guy who may be looking For greener pastures I believe Has also been reported that he's looking to go elsewhere And if you're the Texans If you trade Watson What are you saying to your fan base? That you're going to start from scratch all over again? That even if you get the number three overall pick Are you going to draft Justin Fields? What are you going to do? And is Fields going to be the answer? Who knows? Now again That's all speculation Not that that's going to happen And you would think that the Texans Are going to try to mend fences as much as they can Because he is the only guy In that organization That you're going to buy a jersey Or even root for at this point So if you're Cal McNair The CEO of the Texans you have to do some mea culpas on your hands and knees at this point, unless you're just willing to say to hell with it, let's we'll see what we could get for our disgruntled franchise quarterback. So we'll keep our eyes on that. All right, now quickly, I'm going to turn my attention to college football. I'm not going to get into the game last week. 52 24. I mean, what do you expect? Alabama, perfect season. Cap it off with the national championship down in Miami. And. Pretty much what's left And a lot of people have said Is this the best college football team of all time Are they up there? Absolutely You have to give it to them First off Congratulations to Nick Saban He has now won seven national titles Six there at Alabama He had the one there at LSU If you recall Prior to getting to Tuscaloosa One more than Bear Bryant all time What more can you say? I know I'm sick of talking about him I'm sick of looking at his face Etc But congratulations He gets his Seventh national title there but as far as the greatest football or college football team of all time, there's one team that, and again, we can't put this in a time capsule. It can never happen. We could compare it to the cows come home for some fun sports talk fodder. But that 2001 Miami Hurricane team that could go up against any college football team of all time. You name it, any of the Notre Dame teams of the past, those Nebraska teams there in the mid 90s, and you want to even throw these Alabama teams of recent vintage including this one here this year because those Miami Hurricane teams they weren't just loaded they were loaded and then some when you look at the three-headed monster at running back of Clinton Portis Frank Gore and Willis McGahee and you had Najee Davenport backing up those guys uh, I mean come on you also had Andre Johnson as your wideout, Jeremy Shockey as a tight end Kellen Winslow who was a very good college football player didn't turn out to be that way in the pros Bryant McKinney a left tackle now granted they didn't have the quarterback in Ken Dorsey but with a team like that loaded offensively you didn't even need to have a quarterback could have had me under center there for the Hurricanes and then couple that on defense with Vince Woolfork, Jonathan Vilma Ed Reed Philip Buchanan who was a decent NFL cornerback Mike Rumpf who was a first round pick by the Niners back then I mean geez of course I would love to see that '01 one team go up against this 2020 Alabama team but that's not going to happen but we could say whether or not which team was better and which team was more loaded and on paper, I'm sorry the the Hurricane team is an all-time great so I thought I'd throw that out there just to put the college football season to rest before we move on to other things so you could chew on that there for a little bit and think back to all the great college football teams of the past but that's the one team I think that could go up against that Alabama team. All right, let's turn our attention to the NBA as they had a very interesting week. And what I mean by they, I'm talking about two teams in particular, the Houston Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, you could also throw in the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers as part of this four-team blockbuster trade where James Harden goes to Brooklyn and gets his wish. And I'm going to start there because if you didn't see my video that I posted on Facebook and Instagram, you could, of course, check that out. J Reels or the J Reels podcast on Instagram and the J Reels podcast on Facebook because I had to give an instant reaction to this trade because there were so many layers to it on various levels and I'll start with Harden and with the way he acted here over the last I'll say month and a half dating back to before training camp where we all know was compromised was a short training camp due to the end of the NBA season in October And then of course with everything that Had taken place COVID protocols And trying to get The season off on December 22nd To where Harden Was completely negligent Did not even bother Showing up to training camp Because He went about his business Going on Birthday parties in Vegas And in Atlanta To Little Baby And some other rappers Or whatever Maskless at these events So he had to quarantine Before he showed up And when he did Not only was he out of shape and overweight, but despite averaging 24 and a half points a game, when this guy has averaged over 30 and God knows in the last four or five years, whatever his average was, and in the last four to five games, which I have to correct myself from the video, I believe in the last five games in a Rocket uniform, he was averaging about 19 and a half points a game, where I said he was averaging 19 and a half points overall, but it was just his last five games as a Rocket. For him to say... In the press conference after that loss to the Lakers Where he admitted to say that This team is just not good enough And therefore pretty much Stamped His exit out of Houston Is an out and out disgrace And I don't have to say it All you have to do is go to his former teammates Eric Gordon Who came out and said that Now This organization could go in a real direction And even Of all people DeMarcus Cousins Who's been a rocket for about 15 seconds He even looked at the recent behavior as disrespectful. So don't look at me destroying Harden on his way out of Houston. All you got to do is just look in his locker room or his former locker room in this case. Gordon coming out saying that you could tell he didn't want to be here. And it was evidenced by just not only his play, but his words, his actions, everything. it's just a deplorable job by Harden. He just spoiled and babied his way out of Houston and he got his wish and Joseph Sy, the owner of the Nets and Sean Marks, the GM, they were able to come up with a deal where they not only had to send Karis Levert and Jared Allen to Cleveland and where Levert was flipped to Indiana where Oladipo goes to Houston and picks going left and right to where the Rockets get the Nets 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027 lottery picks. Now they can be swapped, but the 2022, 24, and 26 picks are unprotected. So if you're a net fan and you have visions of the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade, a la Billy King, the former GM, yes, you got a 2.0 trade of that and then some. Because with this trade right here, And now I'll take it to the Brooklyn Nets side You have just sold your souls to NBA hell And if you do not win a championship Over the course of the next two years Maybe three tops Then you're going to be in NBA purgatory For probably a decade And in this case Thanks to Sean Marks Where he built up the culture And rebuilt this organization To the point where They went into the season With the top guns of KD, finally healthy Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving And I'm going to get to him in a second To now where he had to revamp this roster Whether that meant The organization didn't trust Kyrie Irving Because of his recent actions And has not played in the game In the last couple of weeks To where by bringing in Harden It gives them a security blanket Knowing that if Irving continues to Either take time off Personal reasons, whatever That they at least have Harden in the fold So they can compete for an NBA championship all that factors in. So going back to the Nets, how I look at it is, right, they're going for it. You have to be respectful of that. Did they need Harden on the team? I don't think they needed him. To me, this was a 100% move for them to put themselves in a position to get to an NBA championship. It's all there is to it. And I feel that the trust of a one Kyrie Irving isn't there, at least in the upper echelon of the organization for them to go ahead and say we're putting all our chips in the middle of the table with just KD and Kyrie having to renege on that and make this trade so they know that they could take their chips back and now push them to the middle of the table and say okay we're good because as I said last week and I'll say now this is a nightmare if you're Steve Nash knowing that the behavior of Kyrie Irving to date and then on top of that you got to bring him back onto the team to where You have two ball dominant guards that both need their shots and that you're going to have a backcourt that who knows what it's going to be like in March when you're playing a big game whether it's in Boston, in Milwaukee or against the Lakers. And if you're Steve Nash having to navigate these three personalities I'm not going to say Durant because Durant is a guy he just wants to come to the gym play ball and gel with his teammates. And he's the last guy that's looking for drama. And I'm not trying to say that Kyrie or James Harden, they're going to look for drama as well. But now that you have three alpha dogs, and especially two in the backcourt that need the ball at all times, how's this going to play out? How did this play out in Houston last year with the reuniting of Westbrook and James Harden? Not so good. Not to say this is a 2.0 version of that, but you definitely got to keep your eyes on it. Now as far as the Kyrie dynamic Listen Whatever he wants to do In his personal life That's his business I could care less If he wants to Take time off Because of what happened At the Capitol As it's been reported Or rumored and fine Or whatever else That's going on here As far as social justice And Change is concerned Okay great But He does owe it To the organization That's paying him $33 million To not only Say that I'm going to take Some time off But at least Contact whether it be the GM, Sean Marks, or even the coach for that matter, to say, I'm going to need to take some time off. And where have you seen in any sport that a player, for personal reasons, has taken this extended amount of time for him to just kind of lollygag his way back into the lineup? Now, he did get fined $50,000 by the NBA and $880,000 by the team because of a video that surfaced about him being at a birthday party for his sister blowing out candles maskless etc now he was supposed to be back in the lineup Saturday night wasn't the case and we don't know if he's going to play tonight against Milwaukee which is a TNT game so you have that to deal with and Kyrie I don't know what else to say we know he's a different bird his reputation is now becoming a little bit bigger than his play on the court unfortunately because when you look at his stop in Boston and how that unfolded and then now if you're the Brooklyn Nets you got to be wondering whether or not you're going to get 100% of this guy at any stretch and you think you're going to but at the same time I'm sure your trust is waning when it comes to the Mercurial point guard and this is why if you're a net fan although you're ecstatic and you look at your chances of winning a title that much greater but you don't know if this is going to implode you don't know if the guards are going to be at odds and not only that you lose depth in the process remember you have Spencer Dinwiddie who's out with an ACL you do have Joe Harris but you don't have the treasure and pleasure of Karis LeVert coming off the bench and you don't have the rim protecting presence of a one Jared Allen I'm not making him out to be Bill Russell but still With the way the game is played In this day and age To have a guy like that Is more of a luxury And for Jared Allen And his presence In the middle of that Court Or underneath the basket Is imperative Especially come playoff time And you don't have that anymore So to me If you're a Net fan You have to ask yourself Was it all worth it? Now We get it That's going to be answered over time We're going to have to wait Until this tenure ends For the KD, Kyrie And now James Harden saga but if you ask me as a net fan I'd be sick because for them to do what they did and then for Sean Marks to preach everything that has transpired since he had to come in from this carnage knowing that he didn't have draft picks knowing that he had to see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown go to Boston because of Billy King and his ineptitude and to pretty much gut this house From the bottom up. And get to the point where. Because they don't trust their point guard. That they had to go and trade. And do the Rockets a favor. To bring in. James Harden. Who is going to. Of course uplift your team. Think about it. He just had a triple double in his first game. Against Orlando. 32, 14, and 12. But my final thing. Before I move on. And the one thing that maybe. The GM Sean Marks. And Joseph Tsai. Who's become now. Michael Prokhorov 2.0 With this deal The one thing we have to remember here Is that James Harden For all the offensive prowess That he's had over these years And rightfully so The guy has been A remarkable offensive player A he doesn't play a lick of defense And B And this is even more importantly We can highlight this A thousand times over This man Never Ever Shows up in a big game And all you got to do Is look at the back of his Basketball playoff card To see that And I've said this several times on the podcast You could go back to my second ever podcast in the archives And see for yourself The man never comes through in the clutch Never And that's what you have to worry about Granted that you have Kevin Durant on this team And even Kyrie Irving who knows He's unafraid to take that shot So Quite possibly James Harden may defer Which would be a benefit to him Not having to Make or even take that big shot But he's making $40 million a year And he's a guy who's capable of doing it But we haven't seen him do it in the clutch Something to keep in mind Net fans As we're still early in this NBA season A lot of basketball to be played But on a whole This was a trade that if I'm a Net fan I'd have to deal with it And I'll root hard as hell For an NBA championship Whether this year or next But man Going through this one time last decade And now having to go through this again I'd be sick to my stomach Quickly, some NBA notes. We had the Celtics return from COVID after that three game layoff where they beat Orlando there on Friday. And with Tatum still out in the COVID protocols, unable to play yesterday, and even though Kemba Walker back in the mix finally relieved where he could play, and it's a joy to play without pain, as he said, but they got destroyed by the Knicks at home, which was inexcusable. How do you lose by 30 points at home to the Knicks? I get that they've been better. They were off to a 5-3 and three start. I believe they had lost four in a row going into that game yesterday. But for them to just to get annihilated, man. I, I don't know. Maybe there was a little bit of a Friday hangover. First time they played in over a week. And then they couldn't get their sea legs for a 1 o'clock game yesterday afternoon. I don't know. And speaking of COVID, you had six... Wizards test positive With three more in protocol So who knows What's going to happen With the Wizards They're going to have A long season as it is They're what Two and eight right now I don't even know What their record is But they have not played well Even with Westbrook Part of the mix there In Washington Also Carl Anthony Towns Tested positive And his story is well chronicled Going Not only with his family But his mom passing away From COVID over the spring And now he has it And it's just Oh man Just a terrible sign So we wish them all A speedy recovery And speaking of which, George Hill, who came out against the stricter protocol that the NBA handed down this week, and I quote, he said, I'm a grown man, so I'm going to do what I want to do. They can't tell me what to do. If it's that serious, maybe we shouldn't be playing. Is there some truth to that? Of course there is. Maybe they shouldn't be playing, but we all know it's about money. We've said this a thousand times over the last 10 months. And yeah. He feels like his freedom Is a little bit Compromised I don't want to say threatened That's a little too strong Because it's not as if He can't go out There's not a security guard At his door Where they're going to be Watching him 24 hours a day But this is the world we live in Uh, What more can be done? Trying to stop the spread We know that there's now A new Mutation of this That's out there That could even be deadlier And It seems by the day It's getting worse Before it gets better Even with all the Vaccines throughout this country where a lot of them are being tossed in the garbage a lot of them please and that's a story for another day and despite the truth and what Hill says there I believe one of his teammates I can't remember off the top of my head he came out and said I'm going to wear a mask on the bench I'm going to wear a mask wherever I go because I want to get back to some normalcy and if that means I have to wear a mask so be it and that's more the attitude to have and by far I'm not the coronavirus mass police by any stretch but When I walk out Of my apartment I'm wearing it If The other person Across from me Or next to me Or 20 feet Away from me If they don't want to wear it That's on them I'm not going to look at them And be like Oh you're a bad person Oh what are you doing But If we're going to stop the spread We got to do what it takes And with people's behaviors And when you look at what happened there In Alabama And Tuscaloosa After the Crimson Tide won the national championship And all the bars And everything were open And Thousands of Students and fans were out in the street. I mean, geez, we're going to be into 2022 with this. I tell you, it is a polarizing and a very controversial topic. I get it, but George Hill, we'll just see if there's going to be any consequences and repercussions on that. I mean, that's pretty much it with the NBA. I'm not going to get into records and things of that nature. To me, it was all about the Harden trade this past week, but uh, I'll be sure to dive into it a little bit more next week. Uh, College basketball, I I didn't really focus in on that this week I know the one thing I saw was Mac McClung, the former Georgetown guard Who transferred to Texas Tech and now they're ranked in the top 20 Well, they had a very impressive win against Texas Where McClung hit the game-winning jumper So that just stings for the Georgetown fan like myself Who are nowhere near the college basketball map Or of any relevance for that matter So that's my college basketball note for the week But I'll get into that more as we get along Uh, A couple of quickies before we say goodbye. The NHL started their season there on Wednesday. I know you see a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of these games where they're going to be played as two-game series, so to speak, especially up in Canada where there's only seven teams and there's going to be a lot of travel from Montreal to Vancouver, Calgary to Toronto, Ottawa to Winnipeg, etc. So you're going to see a lot of these series where, as I said before, and I wish this was 30 years ago, it would make... For more rivalries It would make for More physical hockey But as we know That's not the game That's played today But I'll get off my soapbox In reference to that One thing we haven't seen Is the Defending Western Conference Champs The Dallas Stars Playing a game In which they would have played The Tampa Bay Lightning Last night And had another game I believe tomorrow night Both of those games Postponed because 17 of their players Had come down with COVID And it looks like They're going to target Their first game I believe January the 22nd which would be, what's that, Friday? Off the top of my head, against Nashville. So if you're a Stars fan, if you're the NHL, you're keeping your fingers crossed to see whether or not they're going to finally play their first game of the season where a lot of the other teams have played. I know yesterday the NBC had their first game, Washington and Pittsburgh. They have another game there tomorrow night in Pittsburgh. So you're going to see a lot of these games, Islanders and Rangers there to start off their season where the Islanders shut out the Rangers 4 nothing. You're thinking, all right, great start to the season, only for them to come back to the Garden and then get shut out themselves 5-0 so if you're wondering why you're seeing a lot of these two game series and uh, a lot of these teams playing a bunch well think about it when you're looking at the I'll just take the East for I believe they're called the North I even forgot what the division's name is but the East where you have Boston, Buffalo Rangers, Devils Islanders, Philly Washington etc they're all playing each other Pittsburgh they're all playing each other eight times and although they're clustered in the Northeast but they're going to try to squeeze in these games as much as they can by having these two games mini series so you're going to see a lot of that in the calendar here over the course of the next few months in the NHL so you definitely want to keep your eyes on that and who knows if it's going to lead to more spirited play rivalries things of that nature that's just a matter of time so we'll see as far as baseball goes we're now less than a month away from pitchers and catches reporting for spring training and there have been a few signings so yes the hot stove which has barely had a flicker I get the Lindor trade about 10-11 days ago but when it comes to Trevor Bauer George Springer Marcelo Suna JT Romuto yes we don't even have a pot in the stove when it comes to the hot stove, let alone any type of flame. But we do have the Yankees and DJ LeMahieu coming to an agreement, six years, $90 million, which was a signing they had to do. Their fan base would have been up in arms if that wasn't the case. So you have DJ for the next six years who will be at second base. Now you have Gleyber Torres at shortstop. And funny enough, that was his position in the minor leagues and growing up. But his first year in pinstripes at that position was anything to be desired. So you wonder now over the next six years with Torres playing at short will his play improve? Will it be the same? Will it decline? He's still a young player. He's still not anywhere near his prime so you would think he's going to get better but just something to keep in mind as we get closer to the baseball season. And then the Yankees also sign Corey Kluber the two-time AL Cy Young Award winner. One year, $11 million. To me that is a low-risk, high-reward signing. You're not paying him anything if you're the Yankees and Whatever you get out of him Is going to be a plus Now you don't want him to go 8 and 13 Because That's 11 million dollars You're going to throw in the garbage But again it is the Yankees And we understand During this time No fans No gate Parking Concessions etc So You got to look at that as a loss It's not as if they signed him To a one or two year deal With Incentives And upwards of Whatever 30 million dollars So So That would mean probably the end for one Masahiro Tanaka Which I thought the Yankees shouldn't resign anyway Because Tanaka You would think at this stage He's going to be a guy that's more crafty That's more guile That's going to throw more slop Than he's going to try to overpower you And we've seen here in the last couple of postseasons He hasn't been the same pitcher that he was Maybe in 17 and 18 that he was here in 19 and 20 So the Yankees making a, a move there to bolster their rotation and then you have Liam Hendricks the former closer of the Oakland A's sign a three-year deal with a fourth-year option $54 million deal to secure the back of their bullpen and the White Sox have made a ton of moves here this offseason and I know there'll be a trendy pick to go deep into October maybe even a World Series pick that remains to be seen but they uh, certainly done what they can this offseason to shore up their roster And make a push For the Yankees For the Rays For the Big teams there In the American League To see if they could come out on top And get themselves To a World Series Besides that That's all you got there With baseball people I wish I had more On the aforementioned players The big players there That are out for free agents But We got nothing And then lastly Is anybody really interested In this Conor McGregor fight This coming Saturday? With Dustin Poirier Now as you all know I'm not an MMA guy And I'm not going to buy the pay-per-view Or I believe it's on ESPN Plus Or whatever, who knows But McGregor as we know He's a guy that is box office He's a guy that's going to Attract a lot of attention We know The back of his fight card Etc And for all that bluster About him going off into retirement That it was time He didn't have the passion for it But wow Boy how three months Could just bring him back into the ring and Poirier I wouldn't know if the guy fell on me I don't know how big of a match this is going to be but I keep it on my radar only because of who he is and he is the biggest name in the sport whether he's a little bit washed whether he's past his prime whether he's doesn't attract that same buzz that he once did all right I can understand that but he is Conor McGregor I think of MMA, I know a lot of people may think of John Jones and a few other guys, but to me, Conor McGregor's the guy that's going to stand out, so I got to bring it up. And with him retiring at one point and now being back, you wonder if this is going to be a thing where if he does win, is there going to be gas in his tank to continue? Is he going to want to get a certain bout or has his eyes set on a particular opponent down the road? I don't know. But if he loses here I can already see it Oh I'm going back into retirement I thought I had a good shot Who knows I I, I couldn't even tell you But I bring it up Because there's a lot of people out there That watch MMA That follow it I know I haven't really Wrapped my arms around it Who knows Maybe this is one that I'll Certainly keep my eyes on Because I'll report it next week And certainly Give my opinion and analysis of But Other than that people There isn't anything else I can add to it so Alright let me get to my hero And zero of the week My hero of the week Are the Boston Bruins As they're going to retire Willie O'Ree's number 22 To the Rafters next month For those who don't know Willie O'Ree was the first African American hockey player Who played back in the 50s And into the 60s He'll finally get his day Long overdue He's already in the Hockey Hall of Fame As he was Enshrined I believe two years ago or well, now three In the year 2018 But for him to get that recognition and Black History Month being next month there'll be decals on helmets throughout the league on all the players not only for Willie O'Ree but uh, whatever message that they're going to push forward with the aforementioned Black History Month so kudos to the Boston Bruins for doing that and also for the great Willie O'Ree they're my heroes of the week and my zero of the week is one-time Masters and U.S. Open winner Angel Cabrera As he faces charges in Brazil for several crimes that he committed Over the course of four years from 2016 to 2020 In regards to assault, theft, illegal intimidation If you're wondering what that is He actually had threatened his former wife and a partner Just a lot of sordid details over a four year span And who knows what that's going to lead to As far as his future in golf is concerned So Angel Cabrera my guy You are my zero of the week And that'll do it there For episode 174 I appreciate you guys For Taking a chance To download and listen To what it is That I have to say About the world of sports I really Truly appreciate it From the bottom of my heart And if you haven't done so As I said at the top And I'll say right now Please subscribe Rate and review this podcast On wherever you get your podcast. Whether it's on Apple Google Spreaker Stitcher Spotify iHeartRadio Luminary CastBox Player FM Even Amazon Music all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast With all the others that are out there And you know that there are a ton of them So I could generate interest for those outside Who aren't familiar with the J Reels Podcast Whether that be the former or current athlete The broadcaster, blogger, writer, studio host Whomever it may be Because I want them to share their experiences with me So in turn I could flip that to you guys So you can listen to what they have to say Whether it was between the white lines And the broadcast booth And the press box, etc As I have a guest in the coming weeks A former two-time Super Bowl winner Who will join me with a very candid And interesting conversation that I had That was recorded quite some time So you definitely want to stay tuned to that You could also check the website for that And any information regarding myself The pod, etc. at www.jreels.com Also if you want to reach out to me Send me a DM or an email. You could do so at the following social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram at J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is Strictly Sports. On Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast or the old-fashioned way at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com via email. Please submit any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, as I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to support the podcast as far as making a contribution To the production of this podcast The equipment, etc You could do so on my Patreon page Which is P as in Paul A-T as in Tom R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com www.patreon.com Slash the J Reels Podcast Whatever you want to contribute to that I'd be sincerely grateful and thankful For your contribution and your participation Because if this is your first time Your 10th time 50th, 100th, 150th Or even your 174th time Listening to me and what it is that I have to say about the world of sports, you know that this is what I love to talk about. It's in my blood, it's in the DNA since birth to share my thoughts, my opinions, my analysis on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.